Welcome to Step Into the Story, incredible conversations of how the Bible changes lives, changes families, and changes communities across the globe. And here's your host, Phil Tuttle of Walk Through the Bible. Well, welcome to Step Into the Story. I love every time that we get together and you know, uh, if you've been a part of this for a while or maybe that's your first time, you need to understand we have a very specific goal. We like to explore the intersection of a person's story with God's story. You know, there's that wonderful discovery that, wow, God cares about my story and um, wants to be involved in it, but it's even better when we understand how our story, our lives fit into an agenda that's so much bigger than us, the epic story of God reaching out and building relationships with people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And I'm so excited. I've been looking forward to this conversation with an old friend of mine that um, in a lot of ways, uh, to my embarrassment and, and really shame kind of lost track of and um, today we have the opportunity uh, not only for me to reconnect but for you to meet someone new his name is dr jeff myers jeff welcome to step into the story phil i am so excited for this conversation well jeff serves as uh, president of summit ministries if you're familiar with it, you know that they are, uh, I believe, the world-class providers of a process that especially uh, for teenagers and on into early 20-somethings can um, help develop a biblical worldview, can um, help understand a culture. It's not about the culture wars. It's, it's about how to have an impact for Christ in and through the culture that you've placed us in. And um, Jeff, um, we'll talk more about Summit in a, in a minute, but um, do you remember the first time that you and I met? Um, Ellen and I were talking about this last night. <laughs> uh, I, I remember, Phil, because I was a young speaker. Uh, I, you you weren't you were a lot older than me, so I may have been 14, you were 18. But, yeah, something uh, like that. Would, Let's go with we, that. We were we were both speaking at an Association of Christian Schools International Conference. I think it was in Sacramento, and the uh, uh, you know I was doing my little workshop. You were the keynote speaker, and I was. I, I still think to this day. I, in fact, I told a lot of people this. I'm on record with this. I think you were the best keynote speaker that I had ever heard. Just your ability to present the gospel in such a compelling way and to get the teachers excited about the opportunity they have to influence young people. So anyway, I was so compelled by it that I thought, I got to talk to this guy. So I kind of finagled so that at dinner time I was sitting directly across from you and I could just pepper you with questions the entire time. That's what I remember of it. Well, I remember that part too. It was Sacramento and um, you know, there's that pre-conference meal. Some people call it the, the rubber chicken circuit. You know, you're not normally there for the great cuisine. But this was at least had the ambience on, on a boat. I don't remember if the boat was even going anyplace or not. But um, I remember that conversation, too. But I remember it very differently than, than you do because um, I remember, you know, we're we're making essentially the small talk that, that speakers and leaders can do, and you're kind of trying to figure things out. And you took our conversation a very different direction that night. Uh, maybe you've done this before or since, I don't know, but, but one of the questions you ask is if, if somebody gave you a million dollars, what would you do with it? And um, I just thought, 
well, that's not your basic dinner conversation. And, <laughs> and um, that led to the most energetic conversation I think that I've ever had at one of those pre-conference meetings. And it really made me think that if we took the financial constraints off of something, yeah. what's the dream that, that God has laid on your heart? And I honestly don't remember how I answered it or how you or anybody else answered it. But I remember the question. And, and Jeff, that created an impression in my mind of you as as a really special thinker. You are a gifted leader. Um, I would rather listen to you than almost any speaker I've ever heard. I mean that very sincerely. Um, your writings have helped me personally. They helped me as a dad. Um, you know, our, our kids are in their early, starting to get to mid-30s now. Uh, and that you're still a help to me. All of those things are true, but I think the unifier of leader, speaker, writer is more than anything else, you are a clear thinker. And um, if, if we could do anything today in this conversation, I want to begin to explore your mind a little bit. And um, because I, when I grow up, Jeff, I want to be more like you um, once, <laughs> once we both hit 20 years old, as you were explaining earlier. But let's, let's go back. Um, tell me about growing up. Where did you grow up and um, what was your family like? What were you into back then? I was born in Detroit, Michigan. That was an odd place. And, and when I was a small child, the city dissolved into riots. The riots were so bad that more people were injured and killed and more property destroyed in the city of Detroit alone than in all of the race riots in the entire United States of America in the year 2020. Wow. And, and so it, it was a really rough place to grow up. I was offered hard drugs for the first time by a dealer outside of our elementary school when I was seven years mm -hmm. of age. Mm -hmm. They, uh, I remember watching uh, the body of a heroin overdose victim be wheeled out of the house across the street. I remember cowering under my bed at the sound of a gunshot in the street as the police chased a car thief down the street. And my parents were from Kansas and Oklahoma, so they, clearly they were not prepared for that kind of a life and they didn't like it. Uh, they both had great jobs doing things that were significant, but they decided to move back to Kansas. So when I was about 10, we moved back to Kansas. It was a, that's a culture shock from a city of 1.7 million people to a city of 17,000 people. Wow. And our a family started going to a small uh, church and, and our church in, in, in Detroit was, was huge, uh, you know, 2000 people, which at that time was a very big church and very active, lots of youth ministries and everything came to a screeching halt. We went to this church of 20, the, they had no, they had no youth programming to speak of. In fact, my parents said to my brother and me, just, we're going to have a prayer meeting on this Wednesday night. You guys just play outside. Mm. And so we, we found they had a shed they had an old lawnmower and because they had a lawnmower, they had gasoline. We had figured that much out. So we got some Dixie cups, some masking tape, some matches, and we made a little bomb out of the gasoline and lit it in the parking lot of the church. That was our prayer meeting activity. And a youth uh, group was born. Wow. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and the next week there was a youth group just like that. I always uh, wondered why, you know, you see so many youth ministries that have names like ignite and explosion. <laughs> I didn't know you actually, did you get a patent on that or you, you should have copyrighted that years ago. 
<laughs> wow. Oh, the trouble the trouble a kid can get into. I mean, we didn't really destroy any property to speak of, but uh, it was just, it was, it, but yes, the next week there was a youth group <laughs> and our leader, and there were two of us, my brother and me in the class. And, and he led us in prayer and it was remarkable. We just couldn't believe this guy, how he talked to God as a majestic friend. Wow. And until this man's death, he and his wife prayed for me. In fact, I went over to their home when he was um, nearing the end of his life just to visit and say thank you for the influence that he had had on, on our lives. And uh, his his wife, whose name was Angel, that literally is her name. Yeah. And she took us, she took me, she said, come over here. I want you to, to show you something. And she took me over to their fireplace and she pointed out this big grease stain on the fireplace. And she said, do you know how that got here? And I said, I have a sinking feeling that I'm in this story somehow. Mm. She said, yes, when this fireplace was brand new, you and your brother uh, decided to cook hot dogs on the fireplace and they exploded and put this grease stain there and it's been there ever since. And I said, I'm so sorry. I, you had this brand new fireplace and we put a grease stain on there. 35 years later, it's still there. And she just looked me in the eye and she said, I just want you to know that every time Donnie and I see that grease stain, we pray for you boys. Wow. Wow. They've done this all of their lives. So it was a tremendous heritage. But there was another side to the story, Phil. I I had I was involved in the debate team. That was my sport. That's Why am I not surprised I to learn that? There you go. Okay. <laughs> so we you know, in debate tournaments, you you end up talking about the issues of the day. And I always wondered, do Christians have anything to say about these issues? Do Christians have anything to say about the big, you know, the big philosophers that were popular at the time? Friedrich Nietzsche had experienced a resurgence. Everybody wanted to talk about Friedrich Nietzsche. And so I asked at church, what do we think about Friedrich Nietzsche? And people said, who? who? Mm. And I, I thought, not only do Christians not have the answers, they don't even know the questions that people are really dealing with out there in the world. And so I quietly decided that when I graduated high school, I would very quietly, respectfully, but firmly leave church. And I was about to become one of those statistics. You may have seen the research that Scott McConnell's done at Lifeway. Yep. About two thirds of young people who are significantly involved in church in their high school years are no longer even attending church by the time they reach their mid twenties. And my parents arranged for me through an interesting set of circumstances to come out to Colorado and spend two weeks at Summit Ministries with David Noble. He was the founder of the program, great philosopher, brilliant man, um, photographic memory, read a book a day his entire career, his personal library is probably eight to 10,000 books, all of which he's read. And if you ask him, hey, I'm looking for something in some book, he can tell you what chapter it's in, if not what page. Amazing. And, it, you know, incredible, incredible intellect. And I was I was so desperate, Phil, I just I walked up to him and I said, I hope you have a lot of answers because I have a lot of questions. Uh, I was 17 and it seems so rude when I look back on that. But he wasn't offended at all. He it's just said it's me, hunger. I mean, you, he, I was that's oh. what he had given his life to was helping hungry people. So I don't think he yeah. saw it as rude at all, probably. Well, he said to me, at Summit, we aren't afraid of questions. Mm. And that, I, I thought immediately, I found my tribe. Because that's, I know answers are hard to find. 
I've studied apologetics and worldview all of my life. I still have questions, but, but I realized it's okay to ask them. It's okay to be a seeker after truth. It's okay to be curious. You know, years later, I, the friend I was meeting with one of my mentors, and he said, did you know that in the Gospels, Jesus asked 288 questions? And of course, my first question was, how do you know that? Yes. <laughs> he, said, he said, I counted them. I counted them up. Uh, 288 questions. I mean, we talk about the teachings of Jesus all of the time. We rarely talk about the questions of Jesus. But Jesus used questions and curiosity and inquiry to invite conversation, to invite people to walk alongside of him. And he walked a lot, right? I mean, yeah. you look at the journeys of Jesus. He had to have been on the road all day, every day for three years just to get all of the, or for a year, a year, almost a year and a half of the three years mm -hmm. that he was in, in on earth in ministry in order to go all the places the Bible says he went. And he just talked and he asked questions and mm -hmm. And some of the questions are bizarre. Like you wouldn't, when blind Bartimaeus says, Jesus, heal me. Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Right. You know what you think? The disciples must have been rolling their eyes. What do you mean? What do you want me to do for you? He's blind. But Jesus did not assume that the blind man wanted to see. I think that's so profound. Because there are a lot of times in, in my own life, and you see this in your life, and we see it in people around us, there are things that we're sick with that we don't really want to be healed from because we get some sympathy for it, or it gives us an excuse for not performing at our highest level, or whatever it happens to be. And if that were removed from us, then the excuses would be removed. We'd have to step up. Mm. And you know, so I, I just see I just see the power of asking those questions, and that's why I think it's funny that your memory is of of, of asking questions because I just I feel this insatiable curiosity. I feel like I have to hold back the questions more often than not. Hmm. So you got formal training then, um, besides Summit. Um, where'd you get your education? I went to three different universities, Washburn University in Topeka, Kansas, which was fantastic. It was a perfect university for me because I could ask a lot of questions in class and professors were not offended. Right. And then I, I went from there to Baylor University in Texas, which, of course, is very well now known these days. Uh, but then I then I went to University of Denver and I did a doctor of philosophy at DU. Excellent. And during those later times, I was able to help Summit Ministries do a lot of things, which led to opportunities to speak at different conferences, including conferences of Christian educators. Yeah. Um, started a ministry. Was the name of it Passing the Baton or was that I, just I kind did, of a metaphor yes. that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I started a ministry called Passing the Baton. I, I, I came to believe based on Hebrews 12 that the race of life is not a, a marathon. It's a relay. And our effectiveness is in how well we receive the baton from mentors who influence us and how well we pass it on to young people that we have the opportunity to mentor. Mm. So you helped me put together a workshop for that, which I don't know if you know the full impact of it, but we delivered. I trained a lot of other people to deliver it. We delivered it hundreds of times all over the world and trained. We don't even actually know. We think it's about a million people in how to mentor and and be mentored by others mm. to make their faith more personal. That's that's so encouraging. I used to love it when you would 
come by Atlanta and you'd pull out your list of questions. And uh, after the after your first visit, I'm like, well, I've got a list of questions for Jeff, too, because, <laughs> you know, I walked through the Bible in some ways just life stage, we might have been ahead of your ministry a little bit and had learned at least the ways not to do more things than you had already stumbled into at that point. Um, but, but honestly, that was a, that was a ministry of mutual encouragement and, and mutual mentoring. So I, I look back on those times very fondly. Um, I was 0% surprised when found out you were you were leaving Bryan College, where you had a good ministry there, and you were um, going to take over the the ministry um, Summit Ministries in Colorado. I was just like, this God has been working Jeff, moving him toward this for a long, long time, and I think we even hear in your story today uh, that long before it was even on your heart, God was God was wiring your mind that way. Um, for our for our listeners, um, summarize the what Summit does in in just a few words, if you can. I can. Uh, well, we equip and support the rising generation to embrace God's truth and to champion a biblical worldview. So we want them to know Scripture, to apply it to their lives personally, but also to recognize that God works through truth tellers who love Jesus to bring significant change to the world. So we encourage our students to go into the areas that God has called them to. We have students in the pastorate, of course, we have students who are missionaries, we have students who are scientists and medical doctors and military uh, flag officers and high level political leaders, all of whom have a specific calling to bring the truth of the gospel and the flourishing and blessing that that brings to the nations to all different kinds of areas of life. Hmm. That's that's a good elevator speech. If it's a really tall building, we would be in, <laughs> in good shape there. No, I, I love I love that summary uh, of what Summit does. And sometime, I'm going to find a way to you know pretend I'm 18 years old again and sneak into there because the idea that those questions are all answered by age 21 or age 25, of course, is a is a myth and. Um, you know, that's what I'm discovering more and more that a, a Christian or a biblical worldview is not just to prepare us to do well if if there's a category on God in jeopardy or something, that it's it's deeper than that. It's not even primarily just knowledge and facts. It's it's a relationship. And I um, as I was getting caught up with with you, because we have kind of lost track of each other through some years. Um, one of the things that I that I read online was a really good interview with with you and one of the pastors from Woodman Valley Chapel out there in in the Colorado Springs, and um, you talked in there about how how a worldview is actually acquired um, that it's not primarily a result of lectures in a classroom and preparing for an exam. Can you just talk about that a little bit? Because I think I think that will help our listeners a lot to take this out of a primarily academic approach and realize that this, this is something that we pursue literally until, until God takes us home. But talk about that some, will you, Jeff? Well, you know, Phil, if you were to come out to Summit Ministries and ask somebody here, what is your job? 
they would tell you, well, I work in customer care or I am a kitchen manager or what have you. But then they would sit down with a piece of paper and draw out a DNA double helix for you and say, the DNA of influence has two strands, truth and relationship. And my job is to put connecting points between truth and relationship for somebody every day. I'm in my office in this Victorian house. I'm surrounded by bookshelves or actually a whole other room like this. And, but downstairs are people who are connecting with moms and dads who are concerned about their kids. How can we help them? How, and they're on the phone all of the time. How can we help them? What can we do? How do our programs serve them? But that truth and relationship thing is, sticks in my mind as uh, we, we don't primarily learn truth through lecture. Uh, we learn it through the combination of people bringing truth into everyday life. So, which is why I think Jesus asked so many questions. You know, obviously he knew the law, but when he asked the lawyer, how do you read it? He was inviting the conversation and, and through the conversation, through that walking with, and it can be a combination of lecture, of teaching, of Q&A, of small group participation, of one-on-one -on -one mentoring, all of those things. I think that's how truth gets inculcated. And at Summit, we're, you know, we want students to understand the biblical truth. Hey, this is truth, capital T, as opposed to truths, yeah, the idea that every, truth is up to the individual and we socially construct right. our own reality. But then second, we want them to understand the counterfeit ideas. We actually spend a lot of time talking about false worldviews. Here's what they believe, and here's why they believe it. You can see how this is internally coherent to the, their way of thinking. If you start with the idea that there's no God, this is the place you would naturally end up, right? And here it is in their own words, because we want our students to not be surprised when they run into people who don't agree that a biblical worldview is true. And then third, we want to teach the conversation skills because talking about things is persuasive. It's one of the most bizarre aspects of persuasion research, and I spent a lot of time on this in my doctoral program, that it, it, if you can get people to talk about something, then their beliefs can begin to change. So, so for example, the most successful anti-smoking program ever is when they took smokers and taught them how to give a workshop on why smoking is bad for you, and then had them go out and deliver the workshop. Mm. And because then, they realized the cognitive dissonance between where they were and what they knew was true and they felt compelled to resolve it so we want students to be able to engage in in dialogue how do you talk to people who don't believe how do you make spiritual things a natural subject of conversation uh, that's great well jeff we've got lots more to talk about i want to take a, a break right now there's a, a in a lot of ways, it connects with what you're talking about. There's a new resource from Walk Through the Bible that we call Rescue, Leading Yourself and Others to Freedom. It's a study of Moses' life, but not in the just the historical sense. It's really talking about the, how we have this role in the lives of other people, how we let God do it in, in our lives. And, you know, a lot about a biblical worldview is freedom. It's, it's believing truth. And so listen to this information about that, and then we'll be right back to continue our conversation with Jeff. Do you need rescue? Rescue from fear, loneliness, addiction, feelings of inadequacy, fear that people are going to discover the real you. Can you help someone else find freedom? Walk with us as we discover the life of Moses in our new Bible study, Rescue, Leading Yourself and Others to Freedom. 
From 40 years of preparation in the wilderness, to 10 plagues, to leading God's people out of Egypt, to the 10 commandments, to dealing with the people's complaints and their disobedience, and more, we'll learn how God rescued Moses from his fears and feelings of inadequacy, and how God worked in and through Moses to lead himself and God's people to freedom. Find out more about rescue at walkthrough.org slash rescue. That's W-A-L-K-T-H-R-U dot org slash rescue. Well, welcome back to Step Into the Story in an ongoing conversation with my friend Jeff Myers, president of Summit Ministries out in Colorado. Um, Jeff, we've been talking about a biblical worldview, and you know, there's there's been some resource, uh, there's been some research recently that says only about 19 percent of church-going Christians really have a biblical worldview. And um, I think a lot of people would disagree with that statement and go, that's just not true. I, I believe this, I believe this, I believe this. I can accurately feed back to you some of the main doctrines of the faith. Um, but you went through a time a, a few years ago when um, I, I, think, I think even probably your concept of the value of a worldview and how you really know if you're thinking accurately and scripturally about life. Um, uh, you had a relationship. Your, your marriage ended unexpectedly uh, against your desires. And um, again, I don't want to drag you through all the pain of that again, but you are who you are today because, in part, because of that experience, and, and that also, I think God used that to help you help others more effectively in terms of what do you really believe about God? Can you, can you talk about just the effect yeah. of having your world turned upside down? I'm, I'm so glad that the leadership of Summit stuck through with you through that time. I, um, I just need to personally apologize. I didn't know you were going through that. I, I wish I had been there for you, not to provide all the answers, but at least to hurt with you. And um, I, I'm, I'm sorry about that. I really am. But um, catch, catch us up on how God took what could have been, in a lot of ways, the death of, of your passion and your ministry, and instead he's, he's redeeming that for his glory. Can you talk about that some? Yeah, I can. Phil, the, the, so I'm looking back eight years when all of this happened, I suddenly found myself as a single dad. I have four kids in different schools and different PTA programs and trying to run the ministry and, and all of these things. And you know, I just, I, I have a pretty high level of energy as a person. And I, I also have a high level of tenacity. So I was determined that I would just gut it out. But I started to realize I am spiraling. I am losing my zest for life. I guess looking back now, if I had gone for professional help at that moment, I would have been diagnosed as been having been in a depression. But I, I, I didn't go that route, although I think I, I would recommend it for people because I think Christian counseling can do some tremendous good. I reached out to my pastor and asked him, could we have breakfast? Because if something is wrong, I'm not thriving. And he said, let's do, let's do it. Let's do it tomorrow. So we got together for breakfast. We sat down and he said, Jeff, how's your heart? 
And I just thought inside, I hate you. Yeah. <laughs> because I just burst into tears. We were in a restaurant that both of us regularly frequented. So everybody knew who we were. And the servers are scurrying over with napkins. Everyone's so embarrassed. I'm just having a meltdown in the middle of the restaurant. But my, you know, my pastor, we, we talked this through. And in fact, he said, well, you know, we need to go hunting. So, you know, we're in Colorado. That's what guys out here do when you're in a bad spot. You just go shoot helpless birds out of the air. That mm -hmm. makes things better. So, and so we went hunting in South Dakota. And I remember on one of the days we had the afternoon free and I went for a long run. And I just, I, I thought I need to pray because I'm, my spirit is so downcast. I don't even know if I want to go on. And I, but I know I need to for my kids, I need to for the ministry, but I just don't, I know I'm not feeling it. And so I started to pray. And my prayer came out like this, God, what the heck? No, I'm, I love you. I'm serving you. I'm doing the best I know how with every person that I can in my life and trying to make things work. And I feel like I'm down as far as I can go you know, but you're still kicking me. That's how I felt. Mm. It's not a normal prayer. And I said, I'm sorry, this is not the way I should be talking to you, but I really need an answer. And in fact, I went back to my room that day and I wrote down five questions that I really wanted the answer to, you know, am, am I loved? Is there anybody who loves me for who I am other than just what I can do for them? You know, why do I hurt? What is my purpose? What, you know, why, why can't we get along? Why is there conflict in the world? And what is the hope? What's the hope for me personally? And what's the hope for the world? And Phil is, and by that time I had written three or two textbooks of a three textbook series. I mean, we're talking 1500 pages, 5,000 footnotes on a biblical worldview. And I went back to the gospels as if for the first time and realizing that Jesus is the answer to every one of those questions. So there was this powerful moment where I realized I have made this intellectual, but I haven't connected truth and relationship even really for myself. And so I decided that in, in the teaching that I do at Summit Ministries and encouraging our other instructors to the degree that they feel comfortable to be personally vulnerable about the things we've been through, the pains we've experienced even the thing, the pains that we've caused for other people so that our students can see that we're living life in repentance and in forgiveness and in the grace of that through Jesus. And that tying together of the truth and relationship in that, in that particular way has been uh, exhausting, but really powerful. When you're working with young adults, you have to be very discerning. You can't just blast out everything that's, that's happened. But, but in the process, Phil, I felt like in, in no student would come to me and say, I know what you're going through because I've been through a divorce or mm -hmm. whatever, but they do say, I know, I feel that depression that you're talking about. I feel that. Okay. I'm right there right now, or I'm overcome with anxiety or a student would come and very frequently students will come and say things like your story uh, makes me want to deal with my pornography addiction. Yeah. You know, it wasn't about porn, but it is about 
What are the barriers that would stop you personally from living a life that's fully committed to Jesus? And when students see that I'm committed to breaking down those barriers in my own life, it helps inspire them to want to do the same thing. Mm. You know, you didn't go through the list of all five questions, but I don't know if you articulated it this way or not, but part of what you were asking was, God, can I really trust you? You know, and uh, yeah. I mean, are you, is your character worthy of that kind of trust? You know, when the dark night of the soul hits, does our relationship work then too, not just when things are are going well? And I, uh, from how you emerged from that, I think, I think God was not only fine with you being open with your questions, but he was also eager to answer those. And uh, there's, yeah. a, there's a new, um, I mean, you've always been able to argue persuasively. That goes clear back to <laughs> probably childhood and, and debate team. But there's a, there's a new heart behind it now. And, uh, you, you know, especially you talk about transparency and, and all. I mean, millennials and Gen Zers, there's a, a lot of differences between them. But one thing they share in common is authenticity is the gold standard. And they can smell a phony. They are not enamored with, with big names, big reputations. Um, but what they're drawn to, even if they didn't see it in their own home of origin, is people there go, okay, she's the real deal. He, he is yeah. who he says that he is. And uh, mm-hmm. I just, yeah. I still hate that you had to experience that pain and, and yet I realize that God is now leveraging that for a tremendous amount of good. It's pretty great. Phil, there's uh, my, my wife, Stephanie, and I, I'm, I'm, my wife, Stephanie, and I have been married for three and a half years. So we met several years after I went through uh-huh. divorce. And uh, uh, we were able to share our testimony because I recently went through a cancer battle. Stephanie had been through a health battle that she and I walked through together where she had a, a very rare blood clot in her brain that nearly took her life. And, and we had to come to grips with the fact that our relationship with God was not sort of a talisman to try to get him to walk us around the pain. But the depth of a relationship that would enable us to walk together through the pain. Mm-hmm. Pain is the one thing we don't want, right? We don't. We don't want that. And a, a lot of the young adults I, I work with, they say, okay, I'm being faithful to God because he's going to make me happy. Right. And, and, and they really, I get it. I don't want to feel pain either. I don't want to walk through the fire, but it's through the fire that God refines us. There's so many things that happen in the fire that can't happen if we just avoid it. There's a, there, there's so much we could talk about here. I was just reading a book called Homo Deus, which is by an atheist author from Israel who says he thinks that we're going to get to the place where humans will essentially be able to live for hundreds of years. And he tells about all the technology that will enable that to happen. So the guy's an atheist saying all of this. And he says, but I'm not sure this is necessarily good because if you're going to live, if, if you know that physical disease and pain will never cause your life to end, and the only thing that would cause your life to end is stupidity, like you walk out on the street in front of a car, then you would stop taking risks. Wow. 
Can you imagine a person living for hundreds of years and never being willing to take a risk because they're afraid to die? Yeah, that's that's not living. That's existing. I mean, it's right. Yeah. I mean, you think, what does Jesus give us? Well, grave. Where is your victory? Death. Where is your sting? That's how the Apostle Paul processed the death and resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus had come and turned back the power of death to destroy the most important things about us, our soul, in our soul. And I just think this is so, this is the message, especially that young adults need right now. I think everybody, but wow, I mean, 75% of young people say they do not have a sense of purpose that gives them meaning in life. 54% say they regularly struggle with anxiety and depression. Has the world's worldviews, have have the world's worldviews helped them? No, they've left them high and dry. Mm. And this is an opportunity to really communicate truth. Yeah, that perspective, and I think I think it's been hard fought and hard won deep in, in your soul. Um, but to me, like if if somebody had asked me 15 years ago, what is Summit Ministries? I I know this isn't what you all were saying, but I would have said, oh, that's the single best way to prepare your son or daughter when they go off to college and whether they're at a Christian school or they aren't at a Christian school, this will this will equip them to withstand when their faith is attacked by outside sources. And I would have described Summit largely from a defensive point of view. And certainly there's still some validity and value to that. Um, but I hear you describe the ministry of Summit and your personal calling a whole lot differently, that now it's a lot more about offense. And it's it's not just, how are we going to win this culture war? How are we going to stack up against the attacks that are all around us? But, but how do we, who are part of this culture, impact this culture for Jesus Christ, regardless of the profession that God calls us to. And I just, that's the message for this time, Jeff. I I agree. I I just, I'm writing on this right now. I just finished turning in the galley proofs for a book called Truth Changes Everything that comes out in September, 2022. And, And the whole book is just what would, what kind of world would emerge if people who love Jesus decided to, to change it? people who love Jesus so much that they couldn't help but change it. And I didn't look at, I looked at politics and justice, but I also looked at science, the arts, education, the nature of work, medicine, all these different areas. There wasn't that people said, I'm going to change the world. It's just, I love Jesus so much that I cannot help but be the best scientist that I can be. Mm. And they, they just did that. And they brought flourishing. They brought blessing. They brought, I mean, we don't want to talk about the prosperity gospel, but they did bring, they, they helped the world prosper. They helped people come out of dire circumstances. And we see the benefits of this to this very day. So when I see young people who say, I don't think the Christian worldview has any meaning for me, I'm going to walk away. It's not just that they're walking away from the Bible or walking away from their local church body. It's that they're walking away from the way God has given us to actually experience reality. Mm-hmm. And that capital T truth is so, so important. And that's the heart of what we want to communicate, a positive vision, not just fighting against something that we don't like. There's a lot to not like, but to fight for uh, what is 
what is true in the spiritual battles of our time, but also to be able to stand in an articulate and winsome way mm -hmm. in all of these crazy areas where Christians in history changed everything just because they love Jesus so much. Yeah, I'm picturing as we're talking, you know, there's a there's a mom or a dad listening to this in the car as they drive someplace and they're going, oh, man, does my kid need this? Or, or there's a grandparent going, wow, I wish I could rewind time with my own kids. But now my kids have kids and they're not being raised with the values that I hold dear. Um, I, I got to get my grandkids exposed to this or, or, or even better, there's somebody, you know, 18 who's out for a run and he or she has, has their ear pods in and they're listening to this. And I, I can't believe I stumbled across this deal. Um, I, this is, this is, there's an ache in my soul. There's an empty spot and something's missing. What's the best way for any of any of those categories of people to connect with you and connect with summit ministries? Well, the easiest way is just to come to summit.org. Okay. But what, what I, what I would really recommend and strongly encourage is come spend two weeks with my colleagues and me at our, our facility in Manitou Springs, Colorado. It's a little hippie town right at the foot of Pike speak or in Lookout Mountain, Georgia on the campus of Covenant College. Come spend two weeks with us. This is for 16 to 22 year olds. And in that, in that space, we will help you find answers to the, your tough questions. We'll give you a place where you can be safe to think and to to grow and the opportunity to really witness what a good christian community looks like that's that wants to love god with all of our minds as well as all of our hearts mm. so just come to summit.org and find out more about those okay and for those of us who just by a few years have aged out from that opportunity but a lot of what you're talking about is resonating in us now if if you were if you were to pick one of the books you've written or a, a series that that you've got available online um one one resource that you could say this is not age dependent and this will help you in your search for for truth and meaning what one would you recommend Phil, I'm going to recommend a, a book I wrote called Secret Battle of Ideas About God. Yep. That's on my list. Yep. Yeah. Uh, secret. Say it again. Secret. Secret. Secret Battle of Ideas About God. In the book, I show how bad ideas infect our minds and hearts like viruses infect our bodies. And there is a way to fight back against those viruses infecting us. You know, worldviews don't come to us whole. We take up little bits and pieces from a song we hear there, a movie we saw over there, a TV program, something that happened in the news. And we try to piece together a worldview that makes sense and helps us live in a complicated time. Mm. But a, a biblical worldview stands against these other worldviews in the way it pulls together all of the truth about God's story through all of time to help us make sense of what's going on in the world around us. So I, that's that's the one I would and it's, it's a very personal book. It's the first book I wrote where I was really, really vulnerable about what I've, what's happened in my life. And so I tried to take the, the intellectual side of it, but say, no, this is also really personal. So it's called The Secret Battle of Ideas About God. Mm, truth and relationship yeah. connected with each other. Well, Jeff, thank you so much. And uh, thank you for just opening up your story and we see we see the dna of god's story all over 
your story. If it's okay with you, I'd love to pray with you um, before we let you go today. Father, thank you yes. so much. Um, years ago, you connected Jeff and me just seemingly randomly, and um, there's just been a lot of mutual encouragement through the years. Lord, thank you for reconnecting us, and uh, God, I pray that you would use this conversation and Jeff and Stephanie as they as they build this new life together, Lord, that you would use them and the ministry of Summit to um, lead many, many, many people into an authentic relationship with you that uh, when the bottom falls out and when life doesn't unfold according to our script, um, that we would realize you are worthy of trust. You are good. You truly do love us. So Father, use this conversation to um, spark some more exploration. I uh, pray especially for those who are hurting right now in a, in a big way, Lord, that they would do what Jeff did, that they would uh, pick up the phone and call their pastor and and say, we got to meet for breakfast, or they'd find another trusted friend who has uh, got something to offer them from you. And Lord, if, if you can prompt them to reach out to Summit or to walk through the Bible as well, we'd love to do life together and help walk together through that. So Father, thank you for Jeff, for this conversation, and I cannot wait to see what you're going to do in him and through him in the future. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining us for the Step Into the Story podcast, powered by Walk Through the Bible. We'd love to hear what you think by giving us a review on iTunes or Google Play. Also, don't miss a single episode by clicking the subscribe button. If you'd like more resources to help you explore and live God's word in your daily life, visit walkthrough.org. That's W-A-L-K, T-H-R-U dot O-R-G. Walk through the Bible. Take a walk. Change the world.